She said, three weeks in a row we weren't able to go in there because they got promoted to the next grade up. So she was excited. Worthy is the Lord. Worthy is the Lord. Would you open in your Bibles with me to Luke 19? A while back we talked about shared on the idea that the Lord hears and sees us. Aren't you glad that he, that he sees us where we are? Aren't you glad that he hears our cry when we cry out to him? Many of those that said the things that they are grateful for were answers to prayer or things that they had been even a heart's cry, things that weren't even maybe spoken out loud. I heard someone this week sharing on something, and I thought it was so cool to point out in the fact that the Lord knows those things, those cries in your heart, that maybe even if you're not married, your best friend doesn't even know, or maybe those that are married, maybe your spouse doesn't even know. That heart's cry, the thing that is in your deepest desire, or whatever it is, the Lord knows that, and he hears that. I'm grateful that we serve a God that is like that, huh? That he cares so intimately about the things that even maybe I don't even audibly speak. Very cool. The title of today's message is Where You Are. And I want you to know that we don't have to be in church in order to receive a visitation from the Lord. You don't have to be within these four walls. And the other thing is, too, in order for him to visit you, he's is not waiting for you to get yourself all clean, get yourself right where you should be, and then he says, okay, now I can come visit you. But he wants to visit you and to meet with you right where you are today. So many times we fall under the the lie that I can't possibly serve the Lord right now because of the things going on in my life. Things I've said, things I've done, things I've heard, places, choices I've made. Let me go ahead and, and get myself cleaned up. Let me get a spiritual shower, as it were, get my life in order, and then I'll decide that then I can truly serve the Lord, right? The problem is, is that once again, because that being a lie, there's never going to be an opportunity for you to get right enough in your own strength to a place where you feel like you are at that point worthy of the Lord and what he has for you. Here's the good news. We're never worthy no matter what we do. No, how, no matter how many choices you make, no matter how many changes that you make in your life, you're never going to get to a place where you can will yourself to a place where you are good enough 
to be worthy of the love of the Lord. Because here's the reason why. We don't have to be good at all. He is good. And we are only made worthy because of the sacrifice that he made. It says in Scripture that he, we owed a debt that we couldn't pay. Satan, you owe me $10 million. A number so big we can't even fathom. I was looking at, uh, I don't even know why I was looking at it, but I was looking at the, the top 10 richest people in the state of Michigan this week. And Dan Gilbert, the person that I used to work for his company, he, uh, his net worth right now is $3.4 billion with a B dollars. Okay? So to give you perspective on how big of a number that is, you know, a million dollars is something that is something we can sort of conceptualize. We haven't seen, but we can sort of conceptualize what that means. 3.4 billion means 3,400 millions. So I, I was talking to a guy at work, and I said, if that guy, imagine, is anybody right now, if you do, don't raise your hand, does anybody have $3,400 in their pocket right now? Okay. We're going to jump him after church. But imagine you had a stack of $3,401 bills. Just imagine for a second, right? It was in your pocket. It would be a pretty wide stack. And, a dollar of, and you saw, they're not even a dollar anymore, but let's just say you saw a kid walking into the mall, the grocery store, and said, hey, mister. And I'm a sucker for these guys, by the way. I'm selling candy bars for my baseball team. And it's just some gnarled up box that he got from Costco. <laughs> I, got, I buy it anyway. Because there's a reason why he has to stand out there and do that, right? He's hustling. He's not asking for money. Just to sit back and I'm not playing video games asking for money. He's actually out there. So I'll give him a dollar. But my point is, if I had $3,400 in my pocket, would I struggle to think that I'll give that kid one dollar? No, I'll answer the question. I would not. That is the same perspective for Mr. Gilbert with one million. If he had $3.4 billion in his pocket and a million dollars fell out, he wouldn't even notice. Big numbers. Numbers that we can't fathom. But we owed a debt that we could not pay, and that debt was our life. And Jesus comes along, and he owes nothing to anyone. He was perfect. He was tempted at all points. So all the temptations that you guys experienced at school, all the things that you're just inundated with social media, all the things that you guys hear and see, even as adults, you're inundated with all these temptations all the time. He was tempted at all points, yet without sin. He didn't fall to any of them. We owed a big number that we couldn't pay. However, he paid a debt he didn't owe. Peyton owes me $10 million. And Jeff comes along and pays it off for her and says, paid in full. He didn't owe me a penny. That's what Jesus did for us. And that's this one that desires to visit with you. Let's look in verse 1, chapter 19. 
Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, we talked about the call of Matthew several months ago, so let's remind ourselves here what this actually means and what a tax collector was. More and different than just some in the IRS in today's days, right? So if Anthony was a tax collector and I owed $50 in taxes, he would walk up and knock on my door, say, I have a bill for you, for your taxes, and it's $75. I have no idea how much I owe. He does. I don't. He says, your bill of $75. If I don't pay it, guess where I'm going? I'm going to jail. My family's by themselves, so what my choices are to pay it or go to jail. Okay? Pretty awesome choices. So then I pay them the $75. He takes the 50, gives it to Caesar or whomever, Rome, whatever it was at the time. And here we are. What's he do? He only owes them 50, but he keeps the 25 to himself. This, was this, this is how they made a living. They skimmed off the top legally. This was a tax collector. This is who this guy Zacchaeus was. This is what he did for a living. Okay? So many times that in Scripture, they're also called publicans. We have tax collectors. They're, they are um, considered we're synonymous, meaning that they are the same as a sinner. Because by their job, by their profession, you know, we have people that, that work at U of M, they have people that work at, at Chrysler, we have people that work at, at GM, whatever the case may be, it was their job, and by just, by sheer, by waking up in the morning and going into work, they were committing sin, if you can imagine. But that's what this guy did. And not only was he a tax collector, we know that he was good at it. Why is that? He was rich. It says clearly right here, he was rich. Verse 3, and he sought to see who Jesus was. Even in his sinful nature, even in all his thievery, he heard about this Jesus and he had to see who he was. Are you with the same desire, we're going to see what this guy physically does, do you have the same desire to see Jesus today? To the point, well, we'll jump ahead in the story here. He actually, he was a kind of a little guy. He actually climbed up into a tree so that he could see Jesus. Because the crowd was all around him. Wherever Jesus went, he always had a crowd. So this guy, kind of a little fella, I can relate. This guy walks up yesterday, I don't even know who he is. See CJ walking by. He goes, oh, where'd he get all of his height from? How am I supposed to take that? People say that to me all the time. So you're a munchkin. Where does he get all his height? So Zacchaeus is a little fellow. He climbs up into a tree, and he's like, i got to see this guy, Jesus. Where is he? Because I met him, follower. That would have been embarrassing. I didn't even test that out. So he ran ahead. Oh, verse 3. He sought to see Jesus who he was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. He was 5'9". There's nothing wrong with that. That's average. <laughs> so he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, saw him, and said, Zacchaeus. Now this is cool. Unless I'm wrong, I don't read of anywhere where Jesus was introduced to this guy. 
Think about that. Imagine Jesus' life. I always think about this. It especially comes out, and I don't want to get into it, but the woman who touched him, the hem of his garment, and Jesus said that virtue went out from under or out of him. But wherever Jesus went, people, there were, a lot of times in Scripture it says there were throngs of people. So I think about you guys that go to big schools, and you're, or those of you that go to smaller schools, you have small hallways. So you're always in a situation, I mean, Amber, you go to a massive school. Imagine if you're walking out, think of the busiest time, coming out of a, uh, maybe a, um, an assembly, right? Everybody's in the, you have your assemblies in the gym? Wherever you have them, right? Some big place, right? You have an assembly. Thanks a lot for going along with me. So you walk, everybody dismissed, and everybody's walking out, right? And you have all these people are trying to just, how many kids are in your school, 2,000? Over 2,000 kids, trying to go through just, just a few exits of wherever they are right now. Throngs of people all around, and imagine there is one person there, and everybody's kind of milling around this person. This is where Je- what Jesus dealt with everywhere he went. He didn't ever secretly go anywhere. So Zacchaeus, he sees him, he's like, I can't even get close to this guy. So he climbs up to the tree, he kind of anticipates where he's going based on his path, which is interesting, by the way. He says he went ahead, climbed up to a tree. If Jesus had taken a right turn, he's out of luck. But he goes into this tree, and Jesus walks by, never been introduced to him before, didn't go in his circles. We know that because he was a publican and a sinner. He was a tax collector. So it's not like he was a disciple, one who was following after, or he hadn't been in the, in the synagogue or, or at the temple sitting at the feet of Jesus and, and learning of him. He was not introduced to him. There was no situation where these two had ever interacted. But Jesus walks by the way of this tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, what are you doing up there? That's powerful. That's powerful. In all of your situation, in all of your life, whatever it is you're going through, no matter how far or how distant you feel that you are, you may be in some kind of tree where you feel like you're caught. You might can't even get out of there. You're just trying to see over all the things that are going on in your life. I just want to be able to see through this or past it, but I can't because of where I am. I'm going to climb up into this, and he's going to walk up into you, and he's going to call your name because he wants to meet you right where you are. Even if you're in a tree. Even if you're in a tree. You feel strung up by no control of your own. Maybe it was a choice. Zacchaeus climbed into that tree all on his own. You may have put yourself in your position. Somebody else, whatever, they, their decisions or their choices. That's the worst part. Some of you are in a tree by choices that other people made. You can't even control that. But he still sits there, too. Zacchaeus, make haste. Hurry up. Come down out of there. For today, today, I must stay at your house. How beautiful is that? Not only does he address him, by name. He says, listen, I'm not afraid of your reputation. I'm not afraid of what you do. I'm not afraid of the perception of what others will say or think. What is Jesus doing? Because they do. I'm not afraid of any of that. I'm going to your house. Continue reading here. So he made haste, came down, and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, Oh, here we are. They all complained. 
saying he's gone to the guest with the man who was a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord. Now, it doesn't say, this is the power in this. Jesus may have had a conversation with him. We don't really know. It's not recorded. We can't say. We can only, the scriptures are silent in that area. We can only make any assumptions. I don't know. But I don't know if it was, if either Jesus said something or just the very power of his presence changed this man. He goes, watch out. Now, mind you, what did he do for a living? He was legally, what, a thief. And by the way, we remember that he was good at it. Okay? So thieves by nature are selfish. They want to take to themselves. I'm going to take something that is yours because I feel I need it more than you do. To satisfy whatever need that I have, I'm going to take it from you. You've worked hard and your time spent from your family and you want whatever it is, your money, your TV, your whatever, but I'm going to break into your home and I'm going to steal it because I feel like that I deserve that more than you do. Now, he didn't break into people's homes, but he would steal. He was even more bold. He would steal from them by knocking on their door. Hello, I'm here to rob you. That's how bold this guy was. This is the man, and the reason why I'm taking the time to paint this picture for you, because I want you to see the nature change that he goes through immediately when he is met by the Lord. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. I give. Someone who takes is now giving. That is the exact opposite of what he normally would do. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. Now he's leaving right now because he knows he's got, he owes me $200. <laughs> Using my same example, Anthony told me that I owe $75. That's $100. I owe $75, and, but I only really owe $50. I owe $50, right? So he stole $25 from me. So Anthony, my example, would owe me $100, 25 times 4. Four times what he stole from me, he's going to restore. So not only is he giving to the poor up to, as see is here, up to half of all my goods, not only am I going to do that, but I'm going to restore to people what I've stolen from them. Nature change. But that never would have happened had Jesus not met him. If Jesus would have acted like some of us and been like, and yet we know this guy. I mean, this isn't a secret. If some guy comes walking in right now, he's got a TV under his arm still, and we see the other things all like ripped out of the wall. We know it just wasn't his that he decided to bring. And he sits in the back row. Are we going to willingly receive that man or a woman to say, hey, welcome to the house of the Lord. We love you. You know what? Let's go a step further. Let's go to lunch. I'll take you to lunch today. Or go to your home, whatever. I mean, that's what Jesus did, right? I'm going to go have a meal with you. Jesus met him, and he was changed. Quickly jump to ver chapter 5 in Luke. 
We've already gone over this with him. But I want to point this out. The call of Matthew. Chapter 5 in Luke, starting in verse 27. After these things, this is Jesus we're speaking of here, he went out and saw the tax collector named Levi, which is Matthew, depending on which version you're reading, sitting at the tax office. This guy was sitting in the office stealing from people. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all. He left all. He put everything that he was, put all of his hope in, he left it behind, rose up, and followed him. If you want to find out more about this, you need to listen back to the message about Matthew, the call of Matthew. But I want you to see here, in the middle of all these things that he was doing, in the middle of your sin, you might be in the, right, in the middle of it. He walks up to you and says, here I am. I'm going to meet you right where you are. Follow me. And Matthew left it all behind. Are you willing to do the same thing? Are you willing to leave behind those things that the Lord is asking you to, to get rid of so that you can truly follow after him? We see in both of these accounts of these men that they are changed. When they meet with the Lord, something happens in their lives. It is impossible for you to have a true encounter with our Lord and not be changed. Impossible. Which is encouraging. I'm glad. Because I desire to have a true encounter with him daily. Remember, we don't have to come to this building in order for us to encounter the Lord. We come together to join with one heart and one voice to worship our King. We come together to be encouraged. Well, maybe we don't even feel like it. You know, the, the Wednesdays that are, are the, sometimes I'll get home at like 6.47. Haven't even eaten. Walk in the house. Change my shoes, maybe. Sometimes I just come the way I am, turn around. I get out of my car and sit right into Gretchen's car. We all blow it up and come here. Sometimes, even the pastor, I don't even feel like it. But you know what? Those times that I feel the most like that are the best discussions ever. Every time. Or I'll ask myself, what? just being real. Josh says I say that all the time. Now I, it, <laughs> real talk, that's it. Real talk. Sometimes I'm like, what are we doing here on Wednesdays? What are we doing? Lord, are, are we missing something are we because i don't i'm never going to be someone that says that we need to continue something just because we've been doing it since 1946 there were some things that were going on in 1946 that are not good so just because it started back in the 40s doesn't mean it's good today I'm not talking about this church i'm talking about period so i asked the lord what are we doing and if it, every single time I ask the Lord that question, somebody comes to me, wow, I am so glad I came this week. This was the best discussion ever. If I hadn't come, I would have been so disappointed. For all the times that I'm not able to be here, I can't believe it. I, I really wish I would make a, a more of a priority for it to come. And there's your answer. Our Lord is faithful. You know, I may not even say those things out loud sometimes. What are we doing here? 
at home. I don't do it. But the Lord is not impressed or really impacted by my feelings. That's what I said that earlier. He don't really care how I feel. And it's a good thing. Because my feelings can kind of change in a matter of minutes. Because right now I feel hungry. <laughs> Ezra said, Amen to that one, brother. <laughs> and because of Wednesday, by the way, because of Wednesday, by the way, this message was birthed. Turn, turn to John 21. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. 21 comes after 20. John 21. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read through this whole passage. I would encourage you, especially those that are not familiar with the passage, to write it down and to read it because it's a really cool story. But we see here that there have been some pretty powerful things that have happened. Jesus has died. He's now risen. He's visited with the disciples. And now we see here, he's visited with them twice already. Okay, And this is actually the third time that he comes and visits. Strangely enough, I guess really not strange, we talked about this during our, our Wednesday discussion, but all these crazy things have been happening. I mean, you know, we're, we're see, literally seeing a guy raised from the dead and he's walking around and he's visiting with us. And Peter wakes up, or actually is late, and he says, I am going fishing. Which may sound kind of strange, but what is he? Prior to his call, he was a fisherman. So he was doing what was natural. Maybe he wanted to go out there and reflect. I mean, guys that are fishermen, he's in class right now, but they like to go out there because it's quiet. Maybe he wanted to sit out there and think. Maybe he wanted to ponder and dwell on all the things that he had just experienced over the last several dozen days. But Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. And some other guys went with him as well. Well, there's this guy, and here they are. It's coming, getting closer to morning, so it was kind of hazy, and the sun was sort of rising, and they see a guy standing on the shore, and he's like, hey, uh, you guys catch any fish? And they're like, no, we have toiled all night long. Hey, uh, why don't you, paraphrasing here, of course, Jesus says, why don't you cast the, the net over onto the right side of the boat, verse 6. Well, obviously they've been casting it on the wrong side the entire time. He told them to pass it on the right. So they toss it over on the right, and all of a sudden they have this draw of fish that they can hardly even pull in. So you can imagine here, they're like, seriously? All night long we are toiling, and then this guy, random dude, who we can't even really see, which is interesting, says, hey, cast it over on the right side, and they pull in a catch they could barely even contain. In this, all of a sudden, Peter realizes, this is Jesus. So 
So he dives into the water, and it says that the boat was not a far distance off the, from the shore, but he dives into the water, and he swims frantically, trying to get to Jesus. Comes to him, and then they, the others row the boat in, and then he goes back out, and he pulls the fish in. And, and this is that interesting. Pick up in verse 11. And Simon went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153, which is a random number, so I thought. And those that were here on Wednesday know, and Pastor shared with us, this was the number of nations in the world at the time, no nations in the world at the time, 153. Scripture is intentional. Why is this important? Because let's see what happened to these fish. It doesn't say that they caught 155 and two of them got away. No, it says they caught 153. And watch this. Although there were so many, the net was not broken. What does that tell me? It tells me that those nations that were represented there, there was room for all of them in the house of God, for those that were willing to be caught. That's what I'm saying. There isn't those that are saying, well, uh, you're not really, you aren't part of this. But those, they were welcome, and there was available to them to be able to receive this one Jesus. The 153 at this particular time, those were the nations that were represented, and not one of them was lost. That's awesome. Jesus said, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of them dared to ask, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. And this is what all, is where it all started. Jesus has a conversation with Peter. So when they had eaten, verse 15, they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Before we continue on, I need to remind you of something. Now, for us, this is all in English. So the impact of the words that Jesus is choosing is kind of lost in the English language. There's three words that are used in Scripture for the word love. One is being agape, which is the unconditional love of the Lord Jesus Christ. The perfect love. The one that casts all fear. Agape, love. Second is phileo. That is brotherly love. That's I'm genuinely fond of you. That's where the city of Philadelphia gets its name. That's why it's called the city of brotherly love. Phileo. The third one is called eros. That's where we get the word erotic. Eros and agape are almost the exact opposites of each other. And here's why. Joni Eva said this probably 20 years ago. I've never forgotten it. Watch the difference between agape and eros. Agape starts in the will and bends the emotion. I choose to love you even though you are unlovable. I choose to love you because even though maybe you are unloving to me. I choose to love you maybe because even if you're kind of really annoying to me. But 
in turn, what happens is by choosing to love them, eventually your emotion catches up. Starts in the will and bends the emotion. Eros, on the other hand, this is what we experience in high school. Ooh, I'm in love. <laughs> this week. This week I'm in love with Jimmy. Next week, I hate Jimmy. <laughs> Hashtag hate Jimmy. Next week, I'm in love with Billy. Oh, he's the best thing ever. Two weeks from now, what's that dude's name again? Arrow starts in the emotion and bends your will. Now, you guys to hear this. Because... Eros will cause you to do things that you would not normally do. Cause you to make decisions that you would not normally make because you are in love. No, you're in lust. That's why the word erotic comes from eros. See, I can have this conversation today because the younger ones are gone. But eros starts in your emotion and bends your will. The exact opposite of the perfect love of our God. You see, because he, agape us, even when we spit on him and rejected him, even before we even said, Lord, I surrender. See, that's starting in the will. Because if he emotionally would have loved us, he would have never endured the cross. Never. Never. Now, why is that important? I'll show you. Mind you, they're not speaking English here. Jesus says to Peter, Simon, do you agape me? Peter says, yes, Lord, in verse 15 at the end. Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. So imagine, let's put this in English. If I were to say to Gretchen, Gretchen, you know that I love you unconditionally. And she says, sure, I know you like me. Or even worse, Gretchen, I unconditionally love you. Yeah, Clark, I like you. You're all right. That's what he's saying. It's exactly what Peter is saying here. Simon Peter, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, you know that I am fond of you. He says, feed my lambs, which is mature sons. He even threw out what Peter said. Yeah, Jesus, I'm fond of you. And he says, you know what? This is my hope for you because I'm going to, I can see a week from now what you're going to do when you stand up in the, at Pentecost. I know that. He says, feed my mature sons. Go out there and share the good news of me to those people out there that are yearning and hungry for me. 
Peter, there, you are the one, this rock on which I'm going to build my church. And Peter says, yeah, I'm fond of you. So Jesus says it again. Simon, do you love me unconditionally? Do you agape me? Peter says, yes, Lord. You know that I am fond of you. Phileo. So Jesus says, tend to my sheep, which is an entirely different word. It means little lambs. He reduced the call. His upward calling was to feed and speak into the lives of mature sons. But at this moment in his life, Peter couldn't even understand that call. So what does Jesus do? He doesn't say, forget you. He says, okay, if that's where you are right now, I want you to do this. Feed my sheep. Maybe you can't even handle this right now. So all right, I'm going to meet you where you are. Feed my sheep. And Jesus says it a third time. Peter, watch this. Do you, are you fond of me? Do you phileo me? And Peter actually kind of gets annoyed. Jesus, you know. No, he recognizes here. You're doing it a third time. You know that I am fond of you. I phileo you. Feed my sheep. Now something I want you to, well, as a side note here, that my bride taught me in the last two weeks. And Peter here in his annoyance, Peter says in verse 17, Peter was grieved because he had said it to him a third time. Think about what was happening here. The resurrected Christ is having an individual conversation with this man, and he's annoyed. Annoyance. She said something to me that was, that hit me between the eyes. Because there's been one or tw- once or twice today that I've gotten annoyed with something or someone. And she said something to me that I haven't stopped thinking about. She says, just because someone may, you, huh, they may not even be annoying. Just because someone you think is being annoying doesn't give you the right to be annoyed. I was like, what if I say that? But Peter here is annoyed with Jesus. And he said to him, Lord, you know these things. Huh, duh, you're omniscient. You know, why are you asking me three times? You know that I am fond of you. So instead of Jesus, think about this, okay. Think about a time when you are are having a heated fellowship with your spouse or a friend of yours or whatever, and you may not be upset yet. 
But as soon as they escalate it to the next level, what is your next response? Right on top of that, right? Even more so. You may not even have been annoyed yet, but as soon as they escalate into a level of whatever, then all of a sudden you're going to not be outdone by them. So instead of doing that, here Peter was getting annoyed at Jesus because the very fact he was asking him, do you love me? The, oh, the audacity. And by the way, I'm going to have, give you a call upon your life when you answer me. So here Peter is annoyed instead of Jesus going over the top of that and saying, oh yeah, I'm going to squash you. He meets him right where he is. Right in the middle of his annoyance. And he says, okay Peter, feed my little lambs. Not only do I want you to tend to them, but I want you to feed them. You weren't ready. I can just hear it in Jesus' voice. I'm sorry. You weren't ready for this conversation. But you know what? Instead of me being disappointed in you and frustrated and just saying, you know what, I'm going to go to the next guy, let me see if I can find John. Let me, let me talk to him about this. He said, you know what? I'm going to meet you right where you're ready for it. I'm going to meet you in the place that you are you're in this position in your life right now. You may not be where you want to be, but you are where you are. You're a sum total of the decisions that you have made up until this point today. All these decisions. Saying yes when she asked you to, when she begged you to marry her. <laughs> not even knowing that the goats and the sheep were all the chickens and everything were coming. <laughs> but the place you are right now, he meets you there. You may not be in the position you want to be. That doesn't matter right now. But he's meeting you, and he hears your heart's cry right where you are. And based on that position of where you are, he is telling you, here's what I want you to do. Now, a year from now, that may not be sufficient. Feeding the little lambs a year from now may not be okay. Because I'm calling you to maturity. I really, truly want you to get to the point where you're over here and that you are feeding my mature sons, but today you're not here. But that's okay. Right now, today, I want you to feed my little lambs because we're going to get you there. I'm going to walk you through and get you there. With my strength, we'll get you over there. But today, I'm going to meet you right here. That's exactly what happened with Jesus. He met him right where. Aren't you grateful that he meets us? Doesn't call to us to say, hey, once you get to a place where you're good enough to be with me, then you can come and commune. All we have to do is be open to his visitation. Are you ready to say, Lord, I'm ready for your visitation? I challenge you this week that you get some time. If it's the first thing you do, remember uh, Ben Hickey, is that his name? Wrote the book, Good Morning, Holy Spirit. What we think of his ministry is not the point, but he wrote in that book, Good Morning, Holy Spirit, he, when he said that when he wakes up, he says, Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. 
It's often said that the first thing that we, our attention goes to when we wake up is our greatest desire. Think about that. The first thing that your attention goes to, the first thought that you have. Now, I recognize that I'm a morning person, so I wake up, I'm pretty much ready to go. Others, it takes a little bit of working up. So the first conscious thought that you have, how about that? What is your mind going to? There's your passion. There's your motivation. So I challenge you this week that you would be intentional to say, Lord, visit me. And my prayer is, is that you're having to rush to get ready to work because you have a visitation. My prayer for you is that you have a visitation of the Lord where you lose track of time. Because he's not restricted. We're reading in Genesis right now, right? We're talking about creation. The Lord isn't restricted by our time. He don't even care about it. I mean, the days are a thousand years to him. Myla's big on schedules. This week, she turns eight on Friday, or Saturday. This is the, she told me twice already today, she told Gretchen a hundred times, plus I had to go through the full schedule all week. This is the greatest week ever. You want to know why? And she went on all these different things. First of all, today, because I get to go into my bigger Sunday school class. He's not restricted by our time. That's important to us. But he's not restricted by that. So my prayer for you is that you have an encounter with him such that you lose track of time. You know, today's day and age, it's very often we use the expression binge watching. You know, you turn on a particular show you like and all of a sudden you realize you're five episodes later. So my prayer for you is that you have a binge visitation from our king. That you lose time. You realize that all of a sudden However much time, you know, it may be, for some it may be two hours have gone by. For some it may be 15 minutes because that's the longest time you've ever spent, and that's okay. You know why? What do we learn today? Where does he meet us? Right where we are. Right where we are. Let's bow our heads, see if the Lord has anything to say today. Lord, we wait on you. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Lord, we know that there are some that may feel that, uh, how can I possibly be visited? I've done far too much. and said too many things. My life is just a wreck right now. There's no way that he would ever even want to come visit me. So, Lord, we just do come against that lie right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you. By your blood, we are cleansed. Lord, you went to the cross and you said, not, it has to, they have some work to do, but, Lord, you said it's finished. Your work has been completed, so, Lord, we accept that and we choose to walk in that. Lord, we know that you will meet us right where we are. You desire to cause us and call us into maturity, but, Lord, you're going to meet us right where we are. So we come against that feeling of inferiority and feeling of not being worthy for your visitation even right now in Jesus' name. It's defeated. 
It has no room in our lives and in our ears. Or we come against the, the spirit of busyness in our lives that would cause us to be so busy we don't even have time to wait on you for visitation, Lord. Help us to really take stock during this time, Lord, of a season of gratitude and thankfulness, Lord, over the things that are really, truly important. The big rocks, Lord, and help us to eliminate the sand. Oh, those big rocks in our lives that truly are impactful, the things that we can build our foundation. Christ Jesus, Lord, we thank you that you are our chief cornerstone. So, Lord, help us that to be the largest rock in our life and everything else, Lord, to fall into place. Lord, help us to choose you. Help us to choose to make a priority to spend time to meditate on your word. Lord, help us to make it a priority to spend time in prayer before you, to make our supplications known to you, Lord. Our hearts cry, those things that you know that are in our heart and in, in our mind, Lord, those worries, those concerns. But, Lord, you love to hear our voice. Lord, you love to commune because, Lord, your desire is to have a conversation and to speak back into us. So, Lord, help us to, to know that when we pour our hearts out before you, Lord, to, to wait, to wait on you, to listen. And, Lord, we thank you that you're speaking. Lord, speak to us even through a song or through a word that we've read or maybe even a stranger or something that we see on a billboard. Lord, we know that you're constantly speaking. Lord, give us ears and eyes to, to hear and see what it is that you're saying to us. Lord, we give you free reign to come and visit Come take residence in our lives. Lord, we want you to be a welcome visitor. Lord, not even to, to be a visitor, Lord, as it were, but to come and, and stay, to move in. Lord, I give you permission to move into my house. Come and stay, Lord, not as a, in a guest house, but Lord, you can take the master bedroom. You come and reign supreme, Lord. You take over all of it, oh God. We'll surrender to you. Lord, we come against fear that for those that don't know what that looks like. What does that mean? I've always been in control myself. I don't know what it means to take my hands off the wheel. Or, Lord, we just to come against that and give them peace, Lord, to know that you do all things well. And you have their good in mind. Lord, we thank you for your healing power. Lord, we come against hurt. We ask that you just pour your anointing oil over even right now in the name of Jesus for the hurts that are felt in the hearts of these people, Lord. Lord, did you minister? Lord, you bring a supernatural healing even today. Lord, heal from the inside out. Restore we thank you for the encouragement that Gretchen shared, Lord, that those have had hurt. And when we allow the Lord to minister life unto us, Lord, it's, it's almost as if that hurt is not even there anymore. We thank you, Lord. That's only a work that you can do. We thank you for your faithfulness, O oh God. Thank you for your word. Let's stand.